Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradz, and wait till you hear this podcast. Sergio Manzur, a rock star member that's been working with us for a long time. Actually, he wanted to send a shout out to Koken, his coach here at Rockstar, um, for being part of his journey and helping him out along the way. So there you go, Sergio. We, we called him out. And uh, he also wanted to thank just the network, the Rockstar network. You know, the he, he calls it his strong network and power team at Rockstar, the lawyers and accountants and mortgage brokers and the whole bit. So Sergio, thank you for for uh, asking us to include that in the intro. Um, but what I want everyone to, to understand on this topic it's fascinating because Sergio shares his story of how he and his wife lived in Argentina during 30% annual inflation. Like that was normal for them. 30% annual inflation was normal. Then he shares where they lived through a period of 100% inflation and it was 100% inflation a month. 100% a month. So he goes through that and he talks about how in Argentina you had to play defensive. Like you always had to protect yourself from this inflation. When they finally decide to pick up and leave Argentina, they decided Canada was going to be the spot for them. And that is interesting enough to all of us real estate investors here in Canada, hearing how you know wonderful people like Sergio and his wife picked up and moved to Canada, chose Canada as their destination. Part of the reason, obviously, it was maybe a little easier to get into Canada than the United States, but they did still come to Canada. Um, so that is interesting. But then he also talks about how in Canada he could go and play offense where he felt like he could get ahead. And sometimes I feel in Canada, Canadians don't see the opportunity. It's kind of like you don't see the forest for the trees, right? If you're born here in Canada, you don't realize the great opportunities that we have in front of us in this country with our banking system, our real estate situation, um, our education system, everything that we have going for us. So it's really just an interesting story to hear Sergio go through and explain his journey, just how he had to protect his income in Argentina during this times, how he had to deal with property prices when properties, you know, were, were changing value. He's going to explain all that kind of stuff. And we get into a chat about interest rates and it's fascinating because he, he knows the difference between nominal rates and real interest rates. And I, I think I was so excited to have this conversation. I'm pretty sure I totally screwed up in explaining it all. So I just want to explain that we did some math that I might've gotten backwards, but basically you should understand that when we when when the media talks about rates, so like the nominal interest rate, that doesn't account for inflation. So for example, if you're getting like a nominal interest rate of 4% on some investment that you're doing, but inflation is 2%, the real interest rate has to be adjusted for inflation. And the way you do that is you take the nominal interest rate of 4% that you were earning on something, and then you subtract inflation off of that. So if, if you're earning 4% and inflation that year was 2%, the real rate, the real rate is 2%. And we have a discussion around that. I'm pretty sure I added when I should have subtracted. I started talking about negative rates and got all crazy. On the negative side, I think I was actually accurate. But if you hear us talking about it, just know that afterwards, you might want to Google up the difference between real rates and nominal rates. It's something that's really important in the economy, and we should all understand it. Perhaps in a future podcast, I'll just focus specifically on that topic because it's that big of a deal. But uh, just a fascinating talk. So pumped that Sergio was willing to share his story um, with us on the podcast for all of us to hear together um, through this. And listen, if you are listening to this and you want to check out real estate investing for yourself or you have a friend or family member, one of the best ways to check it out is one of our books. You can get free copies of our books. And the most popular one over the years has been Income for Life for Canadians. You can get a free digital copy of that book at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. So that's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. You can get a PDF of it there. You can gift that over to somebody, tell them to get it for themselves. But if you're, you're interested in real estate yourself or you want someone else that you're working with to understand why they should consider real estate perhaps, one of the books might be the best way to go. And you can get those at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. And with that, 
let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. We are live with Sergio Manzur, and Sergio just told me before we started recording here that it's a Lebanese name, but you are, were you born in Argentina? I was born in Argentina, second generation. Yeah, my family is from Lebanese and Italian ancestry. Lebanese, because yeah, I also know there's a lot of Italians there. Um, lots of Italians. Lots yeah. of Italians. Yeah. I grew up with all Italians. I'm married to an Italian. Italians have been everywhere in my life. I love the country of Italy. It's a great country. Have you yeah, been to Italy? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I've been there many times. I have some family. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I had no idea the Italian influence in Argentina. It's huge. For whatever reason, I mean, it's, it's probably the only place in, in Latin America where the Italian immigration is as large as Spanish immigration. And then you have people from all other places, right? Many places in Europe, Middle East, Asia, but it's primarily, you know, Italian and Spanish, the, the heritage there, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, uh, and, and I heard the, the, what's the capital, Buenos Aires? Buenos Aires, yeah. And, and I heard it's a beautiful city. It is a beautiful city, yeah. It there's is, some hesitate. you're hesitating city. a little bit. No, 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 no. Sometimes, you know, it's, you know, for someone that has to leave the country, it's, it's tough, right? It's there's some, some nostalgia, some... It, why is that where, did you live right, right there? Yeah, I was born and raised in Buenos Aires. That's the main capital of Argentina. It's a large city. Altogether, it's like, you know, 12 million people, if you take the whole great Buenos Aires area. Uh, of a country that is probably 40, 40, 45 million, I don't know what's the number right now, so a little bit larger than Canada in terms of population. Uh, and it's a beautiful city and it's a beautiful country, so it's sad that, you know, sometimes you have to make these type of decisions, but, you know, we, we did it for the sake of our future and to find a better place, you know, to build and raise a family. And we're extremely happy with the situation. So we've been in Canada already for 12 and a half years. So 12 and a half years. So what was the tipping point? Like, when did you start to think, uh, like, because, you, you know, Argentina, you did, was it was it the currency issue? Like, what, what, what was it finally that made you think, okay, were you married? You were already married. We married two years before we came here. Okay, so, so what was the tipping point? Can you explain? Because that's a big decision leaving a country. What was it? Yeah, that and, made- I, and we were not like super young. We were already in our mid-30s when we, when we decided to, to make this decision. So the last few decades in Argentina have been really quite a mess from an economic point of view. Like, you know, the economy swings up and down. Inflation is a real problem. Currency depreciation. Uh, you you really cannot plan your fruit, your future from a you know financial point of view at all. It's like you know whatever decision you want to make, it almost feels like gambling. You don't know the outcome. It, it's just very very hard to live in those uh, conditions. I mean, it's not impossible. People still live there, and my wife and I were were doing okay, right? Uh, we were really doing okay, but it was just realizing that. We were working really hard and we were not really getting ahead in the way that we were expecting. And just, uh, you know, having to live with concern, you know, worrying not only about our jobs, but what's happening with inflation, with currency depreciation, with corruption that you see that is rampant and it's not getting better. A lot of things that really you have to keep in your mind all the time just to survive. 
So you're, you're basically more in a defensive mood, right? How do you play the game in terms of financial wealth, whatever, is basically try to protect what you have more than, you know, what we're trying to do here, which is really playing offense, right? And investing and taking some calculated risks. Over there, it's just very, very tough. That's crazy to, to hear, you know, how, so Canada's a great, so you agree then, Canada's a great place. Canada is a fantastic country. I mean, we, we Even with all it. our problems that we complain about, it's still there, has, there are no <laughs> problems. Come on. I love you. You know what? I love hearing you say that because I think this country gives us all the opportunity in the world. But sometimes I feel like if you're born here, it's a situation where you don't see the forest for the trees and you don't realize that you need to travel and get out to realize, holy smokes. Tom, to tell you the truth, I deal with that all the time. I mean, I talk to Canadians all the time. I work with Canadians and many people just don't get it, right? They get it a little bit, but the reality is that if they live all their life here, they don't really have a basis to compare. But I can say that, you know, I live in other countries. I had to work there. I had to save money. I had to invest. I had to do a lot of things, right? When if you are born here or you come here as a kid, unfortunately, I mean, you don't have that experience, right? So I think it's bad, but at the same time, it's, it's also good. At, at least what, what we feel is that we came very aware of what we had to do to get ahead. Uh, and actually, it was, it ended up being easier than what we expected. Just because, you know, I believe that this is a fantastic country. This place, you know, Southern Ontario is, is actually amazing, right? From every angle that you, that you look at. I mean, the economic growth that you have here is, is just amazing, right? So, but you really have to live in other places to be able to compare, right? So in Argentina, can you explain to me, how did you guys play defense? I like that analogy, like here you feel like you're playing offense and we'll get into some of the stuff that you're doing. Okay. But how did you even play defense to protect some of your wealth in an environment where inflation maybe is kind of okay. true? So the only true way of you know having some savings is either you buy real estate, and that's tricky because it's a different market, but we can talk about that and real estate has actually gone up quite a lot there too in good places or you save U.S. currency. And I'm not talking just U.S. currency in your bank account. It's, it's U.S. currency that you have, the cash. Under your mattress? Under your mattress, or that you can take abroad to a financial institution outside the country. That's truly how you can feel comfortable that your savings are protected. I know it's tough, but... No, no, I know exactly about this stuff, and I love hearing it from someone who's lived it like you. Yeah, and, and sometimes I, sorry, I just struggle to explain this because people look at me with their open eyes and say, well, what is this guy talking about? Because and then Nick I, and I, I change subject because it's like, okay, it's, it's just... Crazy talk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because Nick and I saw our family go through it in Yugoslavia, you know, we weren't there, but I remember my aunt going through this. I mean, my our aunt used to, uh, she's no longer alive. Great lady. I learned so much from watching her sell eggs in the market. At, but her, her selling eggs in the market there was a cover for her money laundering operation where you gave Yugoslavian dinars in exchange for German marks. Because just like you're saying, people didn't want to keep the Yugoslavian dinar because of the inflation problems. Yep. And, and she got arrested for that. It was illegal. Like she, the, the government arrested her. She was in jail. One of my uncles had to go and get her out of jail. Wow. Uh, great lady. Like, I mean, a smart lady. When it came to money, smart lady. Like her kids there have land on the islands over in Croatia. Like she came from literally nothing. Like born in the bush outside of one of the cities. Wow. To get to the city, start making a name, saving, doing all this stuff. So I totally know what you're talking about. And it's fascinating to me. Um, like, but 
I just need to understand something. Why could you not save the U.S. dollars in an Argentinian bank account? Because every once in a while, you can actually be prevented from taking that money out. Believe it or not, maybe you can just get, you know, take a little bit every week, whatever, when there is a crisis, so your funds are so not really yours. So there were capital yours. controls that you, yeah. couldn't, you couldn't access your money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, you know, in, in some cases, you may lose it all together. There was one crisis where the, the government issued some new law and all the dollars that people had in their bank accounts were automatically converted to the local currency, to pesos. Uh, and that's it. It's like, okay, now it's, you cannot have dollars anymore, and we converted everything to pesos. So did it. a lot of people do that, take American dollars wherever they could and keep them at home or get them abroad? Yeah, into the, some stats that talk about you know the, how much money Argentinians have outside the country just because they don't trust that the country is a good place to keep their savings, right? I don't know if you know this. In Germany so, right now, they're changing the law that you used to be able to buy 10,000 euros worth of gold uh, bullion. Um, anonymously in Germany, but they're changing the law there in a couple months. And I was just reading about this and they're reducing it to like 2,500 euro that you can buy anonymously in gold. Everything over that you have to like report. So Germans are queuing up. Some gold dealers out mm -hmm. there are like, there are shelves are empty. And there's queues of people trying to do this because that country has a history of what, I mean, it's in the blood of the country there yep. because they have a history of what happens in inflation and currency crisis. So when they see something like this, they are doing the same thing. They're not getting the, they, some of them might be doing U.S. dollars too, but in their mind, it's the gold. They're buying the gold and I'm sure squirreling it away wherever they can squirrel it away. So like this yep. happens all around the world and as Canadians, we never really see it. So you think, oh, that's kind of like fairy tale talk almost. But uh, what? But okay, so there's the currency. But then also, did you have a did you ever buy a property with a mortgage on it that wasn't in the Argentinian peso? Yeah. So in 2001, we bought a property that was the first condo that, that I bought, uh, and I had to buy it in a mortgage in U.S. dollars, and it was 10.75 percent. So not only the rate was super high, but I also had the currency risk, right? Because you were being paid in pesos. You were being paid in pesos. Exactly. So exactly. if the peso depreciated against yeah. the US dollar, your mortgage payment yeah. went up. And actually, that was one of the upswings where you can actually get a mortgage, even if it was hard. There are some other times where you just cannot access credit, right? And, and many people, especially right now, because the situation kept deteriorating, unfortunately, many young people, they just cannot buy a property because there is no access to credit. And the properties are quoted in U.S. dollars, and it's like a parallel market, but it's kind of legal that, you know, all the prices are in U.S. dollars, right? The local currency just doesn't mean a thing, right? When you have inflation that is normally, you know, 30 40% a year, with some swings when sometimes it was a little bit better, but we had periods of hyperinflation. I had to leave one of those when I was already at an adult age, and it's just a nightmare. Because it's not just that living through a hyperinflation is absolutely nuts. The reality is that the, the, the country, the economy is spiraling completely out of control. So the businesses go bankrupt, people lose job. I actually, you know, 2001, that big crisis, I lost my job too. So I had to, you know, almost start again. So it, it was, it was painful. And, uh, you know, then a few years later, I started to, you know, spend more time because of my work to you know, traveling outside the country. I was in the U.S. I came. I even came here to Toronto, and you start comparing how people live and how okay, with the same amount of effort or even less, they have a better standard of living, and they don't have to worry about so many things. 
one thing that amazed me here is you took with a lot of people and some people care a little bit about you know politics less people i would say care about the economy i know you do you do a lot but the majority of the people don't care and the reality is that they can live without caring over there is more like you need to survive so you need to become almost an expert in the economy <laughs> in economy right it's weird at least in all the aspects that will allow you to move fast if you see some trends in the market because you can go belly up that quickly right and where's there, uh, I'm curious, what was yeah. the highest level of, what was like a normal level of inflation and what was the highest level of inflation you lived through? Normal, I would say about 30%. There was a period in 30%, the 30%. Yeah. 30% normal. Right now. Annual, I, annual inflation of yeah. 30%. Yeah. So groceries that cost $100 one year are 130 the next year. And then 160 or 100, whatever is compounded, that is like over $160 the next year. It's nuts. There was a period in the 90s where it was a little bit less, but then at the end of the decade, it spiraled out of control. What was your income going up at that time? Was the income inflation matching? That's the main challenge. You are constantly trying to prevent your income from, you know, <laughs> falling behind. Falling behind in real terms. You know how over there people talk here, we don't talk much, but, you know, from a financial point of view, you talk about the nominal rate or real rate. So real rate is actually adjusted by inflation. There no are, one gets that here. So just remember, so nominal, okay. everyone talks about nominal inflation, like what's the inflation rate? But the real inflation rate is the nominal rate, then taking into a, uh, uh, let me, now I'm now confusing no, myself. No, you adjust no, by the inflation by rate. By the inflation rate. So the nominal exactly. rate, then you adjust by the inflation rate. So if the nominal rate is like 6%, for example, reported, but inflation is 3%. Their real rate is 9%. Exactly. That's crazy. That's crazy. So you were always talking about nominal and real, nominal and real. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes here you hear people that say, yeah, that's great. I got a, you know, I got a salary increase, 2%. And they don't even think that, yeah, okay, but inflation rate is about well, 2%. Yeah, so you, or, really, you really didn't get an increase. No, or if inflation was 3%, you're behind a percent. Yeah, you got a, a exactly. raise of 2%. You're actually behind a percent. But I find that's the sneaky thing about inflation. When it's at small levels, like it's reported here, 2 3%, people kind of ignore it. But if it's going at 30%, like it was for you in Argentina, yeah. if the inflation rates, uh, the nominal rate's 30%, but the real rate's like 40%, everyone pays attention because you're like, hold on a second here, man. Things are really going up. 40%, not 30%. Yeah. Like this is a big deal. It affects all the decisions that you make, right? How you save, where you save. Sometimes you have to, you know, you know, want to buy some stuff because you say, yeah, I'm going to need that in the future and it's going to go up. So I better, you know, buy my car now, for example. It, it's crazy, but it just messes up uh, your whole decision making. So right? if 30% was normal, did incomes really ever match inflation? Like, or, or no? Sometimes they do. How was that handled? It, like employers really said, okay, you're getting a 30% raise this year? It's just a struggle. Sometimes, okay. you know, unions there are, are, are very powerful. And depending on the government, there are some governments that accommodate their, their requests much more. So we had some years where actually the unionized employees were getting a better, you know, salary increases than non-unionized. And then other periods with other governments, it was the opposite, right? But at the end is you have to be on guard and you, you know, you want to make sure that you get at least the inflation rate. <laughs> so, again, it's one of those open fronts that you have to have in your head just to survive. That here, 
you don't have it. You don't have, and it gets it's complicated because here sometimes where the where we are with rates, sometimes I think we could have we could actually have a negative rate here, a negative real rate with positive nominal inflation. What I mean by that is we could have a situation here where we might be um, interest rates might be two percent. Let me get this straight. But prices are going down like three percent. Prices are actually going down slightly deflationary. 3%. So like that's a negative 3%, but in yeah. real rates are uh, 2%. So then the real rate becomes not negative three, it becomes negative one. Yeah. Exactly. So we're even, we even, even though we have like this positive rate, we're actually have this negative interest rate environment, yep. which is completely insane to me. Like yep. every time I even talk about it, I'm like, well, my brain starts just kind of exploding yep. that this, this could be a reality. And I think that's kind of almost the world we live in, in some areas where some things are going up you know, at, at the real rate is much higher than is being reported yeah. uh, that people believe. But then there's also this weird situation that I think the Fed and the, the, the bankers are a bit worried about that we can't go negative. And that even though we have these rates, we're we, these positive rates, we're actually in this weird negative territory in a lot of things that yeah. they measure. And it's absolutely yeah. crazy. And if it's not negative, it's still very low because consider that, you know, we can get a mortgage right, right now, even on a rental property, which is higher, you know, 3.3%, something like that. And if inflation rate is two and a half percent, that means that the real rate is only 0.8%. So it's, it's free money. It's still free money. <laughs> That's the, the concept that many people struggle to understand, is, but it's the reality, right? I like how you're literally laughing at uh, the situation here, but you're laughing because it's like so good because you're thinking this is just a joke because if I could survive at 30%, when, when I look at these rates here and 10% uh, interest rates maybe or whatever you were getting, what did you say you got on one of your mortgages? Was it 10%? 10.75, but again, in, in, in US dollars. In US dollars, yeah. So yeah. when you factor that, it could be 40%. Yeah, in, got in it. local currency, right? Oh my God, this whole conversation is making me think I need to get a paper and pen out and rewrite it. I, I find whenever I go into the world of nominal rates and real rates, I got I, I honestly, I confuse myself and I have to write it all down. I'm like, let me get this straight again. And I have to look at it and then I feel like I'm good again. I'm like, yeah. okay. The concept uh, I think is, is, is not that complex, but then when you, when you want to track what happened after 10 years, 20 years, then it gets more complicated, right? Because then you, you, you have to, if you talk about the, the, the dollars, you have to talk about dollars for what year? Yeah, got you it. You really have yeah. to adjust uh, for, okay, I'm talking about today, this many dollars, but back in the 1970s, it would have been this amount of dollars today. So that's where it gets a little bit tricky, right? So you said you lived through like normal was 30% inflation. What was the highest you lived through? So there was one month, and I remember perfectly because it was so crazy, March 2001, where it was like 100% a month. That's insane. That's insane. That's absolutely insane. That's, and, and, and I mean, people were super mad. People were, you know, looting supermarkets. My mom at that time, she was in a supermarket. And, you know, they, they cannot keep up with adjusting the, the prices. And at that time, I guess there were more, more stickers, right, that they have to put on the, on the shelves, right, for the pricing. And my mom was in a supermarket, and they announced via the, the speakers that, okay, as of right now, all prices are up 30%. And people went, went not. And a lot of people just grabbed their bags and, and left without paying the supermarket, right? It was chaos. <laughs> It was absolutely chaos. And, and, and so in that environment, though, you could still get food. It's just the prices were changing. In real, I, and I remember some of my uh, family over 
in Croatia during a time like this, they told me the moment you got paid, they would literally run yep. to the store, run to the store and exchange whatever currency they had for whatever food or groceries or supplies that they needed. Because if you waited, just like your environment there, if you waited like two days, yep. what you could get for your pay might be completely different. So it was a matter of yep. just getting the currency and exchanging it immediately for something yep. of value. Yeah. So in that environment, a lot of crazy things happen. For example, when you are dealing you know, business to business that you sell, one company sell product to another, etc. You cannot wait to get paid. So in those extreme situations, it's almost cash. It's okay, I drop the emergency, you have to pay me cash today. I don't want a check that I have to deposit in, in one week, not even 30 days, right? That's crazy. If, if you want 30 days, I'm gonna factor another 30% of that, right? So it, it's, it's crazy. It's the, the, uh, I remember, and I've shared the story, but you're, but you're making me remind, it that, uh, remind me of it. When we bought it, that uh, place we have over there in Croatia on the Adriatic, we went to go do the final payment. And I thought, okay, we're just going to go to the bank to get a bank draft and to make a payment. And they, my cousin's like, no, the banks don't trust each other here because every 20 years or so, some banks just go completely out of business. So there's no concept of bank draft. So we had to go order the currency. Like we, so, so to make our final payment, we ordered the currency in local, in local currency. It was called, it's called the yeah. Kuna over there. And I literally had two plastic bags of money that I walked out of the bank with and then I handed it to the people that we bought it for because they were banking at another bank. It was literally just across the street, but the two banks had no way to connect themselves. So I gave the currency, this is this is like six years ago. No, this is probably get now like nine years ago or so. But this is, so that's like still 2011. This is what they did. And then they took the money that we counted it, had some espresso, had some prosciutto, we, we counted all the money and then they went to their bank to deposit it all. I thought it was the most ridiculous thing ever seen it's still like that in argentina if you're buying a property it's still like that and then it's a big deal when you are presenting your offer who decides or who negotiating where that transaction is going to happen because let's say if you are selling you would like the sell, you know the buyer to come to your bank so that then you can count the money there and and you just put it there you don't risk going to the street to deposit it somewhere else. Yeah, a couple hundred thousand so, dollars. So that is one of our big negotiating points, right? Where the transaction is going to happen wow. because it, it is cash. Real estate there is awesome. That's crazy. Okay, so when do you get to the point where, you, what was the deciding factor that you're like, ah, we just have to leave Argentina? Yeah, it was just, uh, a, you know what, struggling to get ahead. Saying, okay, you know what, we're already in our 30s. I mean, we, uh, oh, what, one, one interesting thing that happened to me that was, super painful, I'm over it right now, <laughs> but uh, you know, since I started working when I was in you know, my mid early 20s, the economy was a little bit better there and the government implemented a program, no, no matter the name, but suppose that is something like the RRSP program here, which is basically pre-tax dollars, a tax deferral program, okay? So it's like a private, it was like a private savings plan, retirement savings plan. Okay, so I diligently contributed that as much as I could for many, many years. And at some point in time, I was making relatively good money, at least for local terms. So I saved a lot of money. And many years later, I had 90,000 US dollars on those savings. And they, they allowed, a, you know, US dollars there, right? So then when a crisis came, the first thing that the, the, that the government did was force all these institutions to lend money to the government. So 
I got that money, and of course I I I didn't have a choice, right? It was a, like a law. So that money got converted into a bond. It's not a U.S. bond. It's a bond of the government of Argentina, right? So it got converted to a bond in U.S. dollars. And then a few, uh, some time later, it actually got rolled into, let's say, the equivalent of the CPP here. Say, wow, well, we'll give you something. We'll consider this when you are 65. So I, f I felt that they stole all my money. So when, when they converted I don't think you it, felt like they, when they, they converted They did steal it, all your money. They, they did, because I'm not expecting to see any, any of this. Maybe peanuts when I'm 65, but likely not even that, because I left the country, so I wouldn't even have the years to qualify. But those $90,000 were converted to $90,000, but on a bond. So you, of course, you, you can discount that. And then it got converted into local currency, and with that depreciation, it was like $30,000. And then it got rolled into the, you know, that long-term program. So basically, I lost everything. <laughs> it went from cash to basically an IOU. To then from an IOU to basically like, okay, we don't even really owe you. We'll just maybe give you something in the future. And with an inflation rate then of going out of control, it's even worth, it's basically monopoly money. Holy crap. Yeah. Okay, so that happens. So so basically all of this combined, you guys are like, hey, we're, you know, I've, I've traveled a little bit now out of Argentina. These crazy people in these other countries don't even realize how good they have it. We're going over there. Yeah, yeah. Was it hard to get into Canada? Where were your choices? Oh, Canada? Yeah, yeah so uh, at that time we look at the U.S., Canada, and, and Australia. The U.S., uh, and we're, we're talking like, you know, the 2005, around that time, the U.S. was already at, tougher to, Was to get in without a job offer, right? Without a sponsor, it started to be, if you want to do things completely legal, there are other ways, right? But if you want sure. to do everything legal... Yeah, yeah. Apparently, uh, you can run across the border. I don't exactly, know. I see that. Exactly. <laughs> but if you want to do everything legal, uh, it was pretty, pretty tight. So then we actually looked very seriously at Australia and Canada, where Australia has a point-based immigration system very similar to what Canada, what Canada has. Uh, yeah, and we, we like both options and we ended up applying, you know, to, to Canada and it took us about 20 months until we got all, all our paperwork and we had to, you know, ha do a trip here to officially land and then we were permanent residents. Uh, it was amazing, right? Because as a permanent resident, you know, you're Canadian, right? You cannot vote. But That's still, you're in. Work you're for in. The you're armed basically, That's no, it. You're Canadian. But you're Canadian. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then five years later, yeah, we became truly Canadians. Actually, our, our kids were born here, so they were Canadians before we, <laughs> we were Canadians, right? You produced Canadians before you became a Canadian. Exactly. I remember yeah. when, as a student, I worked at the uh, Terminal 1, the old Terminal 1. You probably don't even know this old building, but uh, old Terminal 1, a horrible little terminal. And I worked in the basement as a student customs officer. And planes would come out, and every once in a while, we would get uh, people hiding in the hallways to declare straight-up refugee status. Mm -hmm. So they would, uh, and we would find them, they would have maps of the Toronto airports and uh, with instructions of where to go. And they would uh, get on the plane because to get on the plane, you need a passport. 
but then they would destroy their documents and declare a straight up refugee status and that you know i would have to send them to immigration and they were always petrified they would sometimes be hiding behind poles in the customs hall where i'd be sitting there um i'm a student mm. i'm studying for university and i look up and i can kind of see someone's face staring at me like I'm about 100 feet away and then i would go and approach them i don't even know if i would do that anymore now and uh you know talk to them and then they would declare uh, you know i'm declaring refugee status and i would walk them into immigration um but the people that were coming with their proper papers the stack of papers landing for the first time and saying hey I'm I'm here I forget the language it was like I'm landing to declare my status here or whatever it was and I was taking yeah. them to immigration you know I'm becoming landed I'm landed here yeah. officially or whatever the terminology was landed the immigrant that yeah. would have a date the yeah. day that you and they would have all their paperwork and sometimes they would have all the money that belonged to them in one check or bank draft or something from the other and they were so happy so happy and it was like I felt happy to be Canadian mm. welcoming them welcoming them and I always tried to make an extra effort to be like welcome to Canada I'm like who am I like I'm this weird guy here and I'm the person like welcome to Canada you know I'm let sure me that, walk you that through. meant a lot to them because my wife and I still remember where you know we 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 got to customs and they grab all the paperwork because it's basically the, the final step of the immigration process where you when you officially land right and then you become a permanent resident yeah, and the, the officer, once everything was done, he told me, welcome to Canada. And it just felt... Yeah, yeah, I could see how that would feel so good. good. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Sometimes, you know... Then I, you I, went I, outside and it was snowing. <laughs> you felt so bad. Uh, <laughs> no, it was August, so it was good. <laughs> was good. Okay, that's a good time to go. Yeah, but, uh, but, it, but it, and what happens is that, you know, every time that I have to travel, especially when I have to travel abroad, and usually to the U.S., when I come back... I always remember that, cool. and I, and it, it puts everything in perspective. It's like, okay, what what is it that I was worrying about? Just, I don't have anything to worry. I'm 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 Canadian, so it's good. So. It's funny. Every time I come back home after we travel for some time, I always feel like when I come back to Canada, I'm like, okay, I feel organized again. I know how the system works here. I know the bank. I know my money's probably probably hopefully still in the bank. Like, I, yeah. there's just this nice comfy feeling about coming back to Canada. You know that with the healthcare for all yep. the complaints about it. It's a great system. Um, and I, you know, I just feel like ah, oh, you can kind of relax. Whereas when you travel around in some of these countries that you go to, you just are always a little bit. On, you're obviously not local to some of these, so you don't know the systems. But you're always a little more on edge, right? And you come coming home is so great. Um, yep. So when you so you decide to come here, and then how do you transition um, to? You got I guess you picked up a job here then. Yep. yep. Yeah. Uh, so you're, you've been working now here for twelve years. Yep. Something like yep. that, approximately 12 yep. years. And yep. then how do you transition from getting a job here to getting into, now you're investing in real estate in a country. Like you're in a country you're not born in. And I have so much respect for that because I find Canadians question investing in real estate, the ones that are born here and educated here. And they are always debating, ah, oh, should I or shouldn't I? Yep. Here yep. you are, landed here. What what process did you go through? Was it a series? I think you mentioned to me, I, th I feel like Rich Dad Poor Dad stands out to yep. me. That was one of the, yeah. is that yeah, how you yeah. started reading these books? Yeah, so, so let me tell you how it works. And actually, you know, real estate is still relatively new to my wife and I, right? We started, I, we bought our first property in November 2017. And a few a few years, sorry, a few months earlier, we started really considering this, this strategy. But before, I, I, I never really look at real estate. And I always kind of dismiss it that, yeah, there may be something there, but prices went up so much right now that the opportunity is probably gone. It's probably going to correct sometime, but, uh, but I, I was just ignorant, right? I, I knew nothing, right? So, so what we did, you know, when we came, you know, I started working. My wife started a little later because, you know, she, she stayed a few years with the, with the kids. We have two boys. I'm very close in age. Um, 
So we started, you know, I started working and my focus was to, you know, to do a great job and to get promoted and keep, you know, the main fo- the, the, the normal main focus, focus. Yeah, take the care main to of focus was to exactly to increase my salary, number one, and the second focus was to save as much as possible. So we went through a period where we saved, and and we we were when you consider everything the pre-tax dollar RSP and extra savings etc probably about 50% of uh, my salary, and it was just my salary, we were saving that. Wow. It was, no one it does was, that, man. I, I mean, I shouldn't I, I say know. no one, you did it, I but know. I mean, that's huge. That we is did huge. that for quite a few years. Uh, so it was a sacrifice that we decided to, to make. And, you know, we had one old car. Uh, we were very strategic in terms of where we buy stuff. And I can tell you, we knew everything around, you know, Goodwill, Value Village, thrift stores, and you know everything and but again it was part of we were happy doing it because this is our plan we need to save money and we need to save money fast because we need to catch up (laughs) Um, you actually had that working for you you had this burning fire inside of you to do this yeah yeah so that was you know for quite a few years until we saved some money and we started investing in the traditional way you know, through all the, you know, either TFSAs or RSP or even RESP that we set for, set for our kids, but all in the traditional way, right, through mutual funds, right? And then we realized that, okay, the returns are not what we would like. We have almost no control of the, of the outcome. Uh, and the fees are ridiculous. When people really do their, you're laughing, but you yeah, know, I yeah. know, I if know, people yeah. really do their homework and realize how that model works, it's a complete ripoff because they, all these, these you know, financial institutions, they manage trillions of dollars. And even if they get, you know, between two and 3% uh, fees, that's billions of dollars of profit that they get, regardless if you make money or not. And even that 2% that they take compounded, assuming that they can deliver for you average returns of the average market portfolio, which sometimes you don't get even that, it's just a ripoff, right? And it feels that it felt that, yeah, even if I get I you know, I 7%. You. you hate the banks as much as I hate the banks. I knew I liked <laughs> No, now, now I actually like them. Because yeah, okay. like, <laughs> you're using them to your own advantage. I should exactly. say that too. Yeah, yeah when you yeah, use them to your yeah. own advantage, you like them again. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, so we, we realized that, okay, no matter how much we save, I, I, you know, I actually was able to get ahead at work and increase my salary quite a lot and by just, you know, taking more responsibility, right? Um, but right now, I'm already at my, you know, maxi- my highest marginal tax rate. That means that every additional dollar that I get in salary or in uh, the, ma- the yearly bonus, 50%, I don't see that. So... It's shocking. That, right? The first time I got tough. a commission check at a company called Oracle, a software company, an American company that I was working mm-hmm. for, it was a, it was in my life, it was a massive commission check. Okay. This commission check was $32,000. Okay. One commission check. Like when I got, this was like the lottery to me, this was like, I think I might've just won. This is 30. I remember yeah. counting the day till I was going to, and you didn't get the check. I just got the pay stub saying that it was deposited. Right. Yeah. And I remember the day I got that pay stub and I guess online banking wasn't uh, so good because I I didn't check the deposit or whatever. I rip open the pay stub. And you um, saw the net? I saw the net yeah. amount. Yeah. And they had taken 50, it was 16,000. 
And obviously yep. that's yep. a huge, that's still, I mean, that's a lot of money. There's no doubt. But in my mind, I, um, I had a heart attack. I like, what happened to all the money? And I remember how hard I was working that year. It's not like I just stumbled into that community. I was working it. Like I was coming in earlier. I was staying late. I was, I was sure. working, right? And uh, it, was, it was a good paying job. So I, I didn't have anything to really complain about. But yep. when I saw that $16,000 deducted off, I, you know, when you just have that sinking feeling like, have I just been ripped off? And is there a mistake here? Like, do, is there a number? Is there a number that I call the government and tell them like, hey, I think you screwed up here. So, yeah, I can totally relate, man. It's shocking. Yeah. It's shocking. So that was kind of our realization, right? That even if we're doing all the right things and, you know, I have a good salary, I'm doing OK at job, at work, etc. Yeah, that, that money never seems to be enough, right? It's just like a lot of work for, you know. It, it helps much you live. More. You can live. Yeah. yeah. No, no, yeah. for sure. But in terms of saving and then when, you know, what we were saving, you know, we're investing in mutual funds and not happy with those returns. That's where we realized that, okay, th there's got to be something else here. So then we started, you know, looking for that something else. And that's how, you know, we, we <laughs> ran into real estate and started, you know, learning and actually I you know because of my, my I am an engineer so I like numbers and work with, with spreadsheets and all that stuff even if right now I, I don't do much of that but that's kind of my, my background. What, what type of engineer? Uh, industrial and mechanical engineer. Yeah cool. Yeah so um, you know what I started looking at real estate but mainly from a numbers point of view sure. like okay different strategies what are the numbers and I started running the numbers and I realized that Wow, this is pretty powerful. There is something here. Think about the, the basics, right? That, uh, and you know this well, that even if there is a 3% appreciation, appreciation on, you know, on the market, and we know we've, we've had much more than that, right? But even at 3%, if you're putting 20% down, that means that the return on your investment is 15%, and you've done nothing, even if the property breaks even. But it doesn't just break even because you are also getting at a minimum, you know, the principal repayment. And that's additional equity that you are making, right? So you, your return automatically is going to be above 15%, even if you are just breaking even from a cash flow point of view. And then if you find the right strategy and you can get, uh, you know, additional cash flow, and again, cash is king, of course, but that's a pure bonus, right? So when I started, you know, running those numbers and saying, okay, you know what, what does a uh, property is going to do for me in five years or 10 years? And I said, oh my God, there is something there. There is something that no one told me about it, about this. So I was pissed about that. But now I know and I'm looking at the numbers and, and it's true. And I remember, you know, listening to you or Nick many times saying that something like, oh, if someone just buys one rental property and they keep it for 25, 30 years, they're going to be okay. And, and it's true. Actually, if you if you run the numbers, you, it's it's true. I mean, it's it's a great vehicle to build wealth, and the cash flow is fantastic. But it's it's tough to get for sure. But the cash flow, you know, is the gravy. The wealth creation that you get on equity is just amazing. Especially when you have a strategy, as you guys talk all the time, where yeah, you know what, property prices may go down. But if you have the right property and it's still cash flow and you can, you know, you can go through that, those years when it's tough, eventually properties are going are gonna to come up. So you're going to be okay. So, so to me it was like 
super interesting to you know understand all the numbers and then okay well, i mean now it's a matter of defining what type of strategy what is the was your are, wife in at that moment or did you have to convince her usually one you know if you're married usually it's one one of the people in that marriage are like all in and the other one's like no this is wrong uh no no she she, 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 she was in but okay. she was in more conceptually no not as much into the detail now, now, now she is, but we, we and can, also we can I get find if you have like a white collar type job, and once you get involved in real estate, you <laughs> have had some friends go through this. They're like, they're you know really high paying white collar type jobs, and then they get a piece of real estate, and you have to do some blue collar type work when you oh, own yeah. real, you own real estate, which might mean when you first get into real estate, you might be doing some demo because you need to renovate a washroom or something, and maybe that demo is going to be done by you. So yep. you have someone who's maybe worked in a nice beautiful office and stuff, and then all of a sudden. And it's like, yeah, you got to go there. You got to rip up the toilet. You got to yep. rip down the shower. There's a dump box. You got to deal with some contractors. The dump box guy might be late. The neighbors might complain. There might be a permit required. Try and deal with city hall. There's all these things to do with real estate. That's why I tell everyone, I'm like, yeah, it's not really... It's a pretty, it's a pretty simple thing, real estate, but it's not always easy. It's not easy. No, <laughs> it's no, no. Not easy. Uh, uh, you know, it depends on the the strategy that you pick, right? As I mentioned to you, and then we can go. You know, my, my strategy is all duplex conversion. So yeah, that's what that that's what your primary. Work. It takes a, and and, and the, on the duplex conversion, have have you been able to pay for someone to do the work? Are you doing the work? How are you doing that? No, no. Right now, I still don't have the expertise or the or the time to do it myself. So you're hiring so, to do the yeah, work. Yeah, we, we we are hiring. Yeah. So you're buying the property that has the opportunity to be converted into a duplex. Yeah. You convert it into a duplex, which you basically almost double the income. It's not quite, but pretty close sometimes. Yeah. You're almost doubling yeah. Yeah. the income on it. Yeah. And uh, and that those are the properties you've chosen to focus on. Yes, with a you know, with a clear focus on what's gonna be the what is called the ARV or the or the after repair value, because uh, the plan is to as soon as the project is completed. You know, we are renting it and then we are turning around and refinancing that property. Yeah, and that's where I try to give everybody some warnings because the refinancing thing is a beautiful concept. It's another one of those things that conceptually is so beautiful, but in, it depends when you hit the market with your refinance because a lot of times yeah. what most Canadians don't understand is the appraisers are given instructions by the banks saying, hey, listen, if there's any sort of market correction in the next 18 months, and we've heard through the grapevine that this stuff happens. I don't have it firsthand, so I, I should say that. But we have heard through some pretty reliable sources that appraisers have been told under certain situations that uh, this kind of thing. If the market corrects and your appraisal comes in too high and we are underwater on the property value over the next 18 months, we're not going to be using you anymore. And when that mm -hmm. happened a few years ago, all of a sudden we saw appraisal values coming in way low across the board, almost overnight. And when you're banking on that appraisal to be able to go refinance it, to pull out your money, sometimes it hurts. And sometimes appraisers yeah. don't do a good job of the income approach of properties. You might've done a beautiful duplex conversion, doubling the value essentially on the property because you've doubled the amount of income you can get because now you have two yeah. units instead yeah. of one, but they are just looking at as like a residential property yeah, they and look main, mainly at comps right exactly and so you don't get the full value so it's yeah. a, you can't always it's a beautiful strategy and we all do it we all that's been done since the beginning of time yeah. but it's something you have to navigate through it can be very frustrating the appraisals uh sometimes yeah yeah so, so go, going back a little bit when we decided to jump in and look at different strategies i realized that yeah, even if you find a, you know, you buy a single family and that's great, right? If you're not going to spend a, lo a lot of time on it, but we decided, okay, we, we want to do more. We want to spend some time. We want to go through the grind, whatever it takes and, and learn it because there is something there. So we said, okay, you know, we, we, we want to focus more on, on multifamily 
for the cash flow, but then the BFRR strategy, which is what gives you the, the boost to the return on investment, right? Because you can actually, you know, pull that money and use it on another project. And so far we've been able, in every, uh, touch on wood, yeah, right? yeah, but yeah. every refinance that we had, we were able to pull all the money from the renovation and a little bit of the down payment. I didn't have any of those crazy home runs that some people talk about where you but take you never all know the money when, out. But you never know, know when your home run's coming, though. That's the thing be, I can yeah. tell you from experience in real estate. Is sometimes the pro- Nick and I have had many times where you're like, that property's a... Why did we even buy that property? That property's actually a piece of crap. <laughs> you always have some properties that are not on... You don't like, but they're, yeah. you own them in your portfolio. But every once in a while, a property that you think is not going to produce, it just produces like magic. You know, you just have one that it appraises beautifully. You always rent it out for top dollar. And another property that you think is going to be your gem and it's this beautiful property, it doesn't appraise quite right. So you just never know when you're going to hit that home run, Yeah. you know? Yep. So the key with this thing is to do just what you're doing. Do what you can and you keep moving. You know, keep keep pushing your money back into the market. Something you said really stuck home with me is it's now when I see 20-year-olds walk in here because of what you said on the the the, uh, the advantages of real estate. One of the things yep. that we didn't talk about are there are tax advantages to owning oh, yeah, rental sure. properties that you yep. can take expenses with a good accountant and really yep. use that to your advantage as well, which can be very good if you're earning T4 income. Yep. But uh, something when I see 20-year-olds walk in here thinking about real estate, Usually, I kind of tell people about real estate. I'm like, ah, do it if you want. We'll help you. And I'm, I'm obviously all in and sold on it, right? But when I see it's someone in their 20s, I feel like shaking them. Buy a freaking property right now. You're in your 20s. If you just buy one property and you just survive and you hold this till the time you're 40s, yeah. you know, you're going to be great. I, and I point to Nick. I go, look, he bought his first property when he was 21. Look at him now. He's 41. 20 years has passed. Do you think he's happy? You know. I mean? So I tell these 20-year-olds, I'm going to buy it now. You can change your life. If you buy one property, you know how we talked about one property changing your life? Yeah. If you yeah. buy one property in your early 20s, that property can, I mean... Yeah. You know, 20 years. And there, obviously, there's no guarantees to this. Again, worst case scenario, suppose that you get no cash flow. After 30 years, you're going to have the full, the 100% value of that property yours. It's all going to be your equity, right? The mortgage will be fully Yeah, after fully 30 paid. plus, the rent is going to be all yours minus insurance and some property taxes. But you're going to yeah. have plenty of cash flow off that yeah. property. In that scenario where, let's say that you don't refinance, you don't pull money. But, I mean, there's a lot more things that you can do, right? But even if you keep that very straight you know very simple strategy and you said i'm just gonna let this property pay for itself even if i don't get any money hopefully you know i don't need to put money but if that property runs for 30 years you're gonna have you know the full amount of a property <laughs> free and clear how right? are you so, managing some of these things you're working full-time did you yeah. pop in on the weekends afterwards like how, how like yeah i mean it, it, it was it's a lot right? it was pretty crazy at some point in time because you know my wife and i uh, you know were, were both working full-time so it was a uh, you know every day doing a, a little bit over the phone talking to people eventually going and checking the properties you know when we were trying to feel you know to fill the properties for example and weekends there was you know a, a point in time where i had uh, many you know not many but at least two projects on the go maybe that would be our our maximum where i was working you know five days a week and then i would be there almost all saturday because right now we're investing in wellland so that's about an hour from where we live so between the time they commute and you know you're there and you're doing little things whatever and then you check your clock and it's okay already six, six hours went by right 
So it was six days a week for sure. That's freaking me out that somebody born in Argentina is investing in Welland, Ontario. <laughs> because like when you're born here, you never think, and I don't mean anyone listening to this from Welland, Ontario. We do a ton, a ton of Rockstar investors buy in Welland. Tons. Yep. We yep. do a ton of stuff in Welland. Um, but just to hear that story, like you're born in Argentina, you come here to Canada, and now you're investing in Welland. And why, uh, I, I think I know the reason, but why Welland? What, what, okay, when we were going to start, we had no clue, like literally no clue. For us, you would tell me, you know, Niagara region or Brantford or Barrie or Kitchener, Waterloo area, whatever. I had no idea, right? So, um, I, you know, at some point in time, I, I hired a, a coach who was like a, you know, like a personal development, but also a real estate coach. I forgot that you've told me that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And he he lived in St. Catharines. Yeah, so I because remember. he lived in St. Catharines, we say, okay, you know what? What's interesting here, right? And he actually pointed to Welland, and this was, you know, like two years ago. As I think th there is a lot of potential here, and, and he was right from that point of view. So. We we just did a we just put out the latest population number. So uh, the U.S. immigration, the Financial Post has an article right now that U.S. immigration fell to one of its lowest levels, and I, I think it's a couple decades to about five hundred seventy-five thousand people last year. Canadian immigration last year was about four hundred thirty thousand immigrants into this yep. country, and. Uh, you know, that's not quite equal. 430 and 575 are clearly different numbers. But, you know, we are one-tenth of the size of the U.S. So when we are one-tenth of the U.S. size, but we are getting almost the same amount of immigrants in here, yep. like what is happening here in Canada? And you know this. You are one of the immigrants that came here. My parents are some of the immigrants. When, when you, sometimes people here, I try to convince them. I'm like, you don't, you don't understand. Not only are property prices going up because of what's happening in monetary policy with inflation, right? And money is created when a new yeah. mortgage is taken. So the real and estate... And economic growth. And but at the, at the same time, economic growth, it's also fueled by immigration, not just property market, right? Exactly. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. The economic growth that we're getting in this area. It's huge. And, and I tell everyone, like, I don't remember much from my economic stuff. I, I've studied more about the economy since university, but I remember, I remember somewhere reading that GDP was, the gross domestic product was labor times capital. It was labor times capital. And then everybody argued about productivity, how whatever the productivity factor is would yep. ultimately determine the size and the efficiency of the gross domestic product of the country for that year. But labor times capital was basically the big equation. And then if you, if you have labor coming in here in droves, high quality people like yourself and your wife, educated people. I mean, the quality of immigrant, no one believes me. I, I tell everyone, you don't understand the quality of immigration that we get in here is very unique. So we get a yep. high quality immigration and then you marry that with cheap money because yeah. interest rates are cheap and stuff the economic impact on that we might be in this magical spot and i say that with complete short-term paranoia because i'm always scared i'm always scared market could tank property prices could go down interest rates could spike up you know i'm always kind of scared but long term i'm very optimistic about this area yeah. for these reasons so just seeing your story and hearing about your story play out the way it has to me is like Yes, this is happening right in front of our eyes, yep. right? And then as Canadians here, sometimes will look at me and they'll say, I don't understand property prices. I don't understand why in Burlington, for example, 10 years ago, I could get a fully detached home for, you know, like 350,000 and now it's like a million dollars. And I'm like, well, there's all these factors happening yep. that you're not paying any attention to, yep. you know? And I think someone like yourself, because you've gone through what you've gone through, you clearly pay attention to this stuff, yep. right? And let me let me tell you something about you know the the you know the real estate market. So what happened in Argentina? Or, or, or let's say what's happening here? It's clear we we talk a, a lot about that, right? Of course, population growth is one of the big drivers for sure, right? I would say it's basically the main driver 
because when you know population growth is significantly less than new construction statistics, right? As is happening here, it's the basic law of you know demand and supply, right? That takes over, and that's why you know we are seeing what we're seeing with property prices and and rents, right? Back in Argentina, what actually happened is that population growth was still there, with some immigration, like you know from inside Argentina or other countries. So. So, so population growth was still there. At some point in time, there was no access to credit, and we know credit is a big driver, but it wasn't a big driver there. But with, just with population growth, and because of the crisis, new construction was actually very low, property prices skyrocketed too. Like I sold because it was just demand from the population growth. Because because I've always just, been concerned that access growth. to credit is such a critical factor in the real estate market that when that disappears, in the back of my mind, I'm always like, we might have to live through 18 month period yeah. where property prices really nosedive, and that could happen at any time. But you're thinking, or from what you've seen with experiences, population growth thwarts that a little bit, like it prevents the collapse. Of I think it's a matter of you know how we change. For example, right now we have a access to credit. Come closer and to that, the mic. So, Come sorry, on. if that access to credit gets easier or worse is going to have an impact for sure so it's all relative right, right you know in argentina access to credit is has always been incredibly tough so when there is a little bit of access to credit it also boosts the property market but even when there is no access to credit because that is probably a less of a factor there just population growth does the trick because it's the basic law of you know demand and supply just as I give you an example, so I the the condo that I had in Argentina that we we sold a year later, you know, a year after we came here, so that was around 2008, we sold it at a, I think 170 thousand US dollars. Those condos right now cost like 300 thousand. Got it. So that with very little 12, access to credit. Twelve years later, yeah, because there is, you know, with all these prices, there isn't much new construction, but the demand is there. The demand is still there when population grows, right? So it's, yeah, it's crazy. And again, uh, uh, in the same way that you know, U.S. dollars that you keep un under under your mattress over there, you know, a property is also a way to save. It's like a piggy bank. <laughs> it's another asset that you can trust that is going to be there. <laughs> so. I feel like sometimes going to all the high schools in Ontario and saying, you know, earn an income, but own assets, you know, own as many freaking assets as you could possibly own. It'll change your life. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's Unfortunately, funny. I got it only three years ago, but yeah, it's true. Yeah, but we all get it at different times, yeah, right? Yeah, like I, yeah. I, I went through it with my father. Like I'll never forget when he shut down his drywall company. And you may have heard me say this, but I, I remember the day and we pulled away and he closed up the office. And I remember thinking, wow, he worked all those years and just shut down that business. Mm. But the person who owns those industrial units who owns the real estate, they're just going to put in another tenant in there. They don't actually care. Not that they should yeah. care. But they didn't really care about my father having to work that many years and then basically having nothing for closing down the business. They're just going to stick someone else in. It's like this piggy bank that just keeps producing that it has pain and you have to be careful. Like I understand all the risks for it, but I still to this day haven't met anyone of real wealth that doesn't own real estate. Like I, I've never met that person. There are some quote unquote new rich. You get some Bitcoin stuff, some tech stocks. Of course, there's going to be that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I mean like any kind of generational wealth that owns real estate, uh, pretty much anyone who has generational wealth, there's always real estate in the family somewhere. I've always found yeah. that, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, Sergio, this has been, man, this is a real fascinating talk. What are your kids? How old are your kids right now? Nine and 10. 
Sorry, yes, nine and nine ten. And, 10. and yeah. we were just yeah. talking uh, before this is that like I feel like you know I'm the Nick and I are the kids of immigrant parents and uh, the benefits that I've personally received by being born here and I think your kids are they don't even know the benefits that they're going to get by just being raised here and developing their network here and you know us and we'll do anything for you and your kid just that network is so valuable yeah. right so uh, it's cool man it's really really cool to see do they know what you do you talk to them about real estate at nine and ten. Actually, we do. Actually, we do. I mean, of course, not a lot, right? But, you know, sometimes they come with us and we explain that, uh, yeah, this is, you know, a way of uh, getting income, building wealth uh, that we want you guys to, to understand, right? Actually, um, yeah, I didn't mention, but so in 2016, that's really when we started doing something in, in real estate because my wife and I bought two condos in, in Toronto. I think I mentioned this to you before, right? So, uh, but at that time, again, because it was just a way of diversifying. I said, okay, what's the, what could be the easiest to manage? Let's just buy a condo. Sure. It so happened that then the market started, that was pre-construction, sorry. Yeah. So then the market went up, but that was just luck, right? We, we really the market didn't went on fire yeah, in the next year. <laughs> we really didn't know what we were doing, but I started, you know, in the meantime, I was learning more and more and more. And then I, you know, once I understand the numbers better and the different strategies, I said, okay, I think there is a better mm-hmm. strategy uh, where I don't have to park, you know, 20% that you pay within 18 months or so, right? 20% of the of that for three years, that could be five years and, and you get nothing, right? But there is a way that you can get some money, that money work for you right away, right? Because you finish the property, you start getting, you know, the mortgage pay down. If you actually add value and you, re- you, you refinance, you are actually making some money. You're making some profit that is embedded within the equity of the property, but it's true profit, right, that you are making, right? So, um, yeah, it was an interesting an interesting journey for sure. Very cool. And, sir, and, and a lot of work for sure, as, totally as, 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 you, as you said. Are, are, you know, I, I think you just put it nicely. I mean, it is, it is conceptually simple. But it's not easy. It's not easy. And, you know, when I see many people uh, that I talk to and they, they see, yeah, they, they see something there, right? But then I don't feel that they really understand that there are sacrifices. And then we have to work hard. And the one thing that I struggle a lot initially, but sometimes you have to just have to bite your teeth and go through. It's like, okay, I, I knew nothing about real estate. And all my expertise was, you know, in what I was doing at work, where I, but I knew nothing about real estate. So you're jumping into something and you just don't know. You have to start meeting people, trusting people. You're going to hit the wall. You're going to fall. You're going to learn. And, and that, I mean, I'm not going to talk now, but I have lots of stories. I mean, it was super tough for at some point in time. The but issue is that you, the, once you, that you understand that, okay, you know what? You're going to go through that phase and it's going to be painful, but when you understand that, that's how it is in life. And as long as you, you know, you keep going, you keep going, you keep going, it's going to be fine. But I feel that many people, you know, they give up quickly when they see how much work it is. Or even before, if they realize that, yeah, it, it's going to take some work, they are finding for a hack, right? They are finding, okay, how can I do this strategy and get the best returns, but still 
not get involved in the management at all, right? And manage everything at a distance. And it's, you're not going to take the me, big opportunity not gonna is take getting me any involved. time. Yeah, no, no. You, you have to get involved. You have to learn. So it, there is a sacrifice, uh, but it certainly pays off, right? But you have to be willing to do that sacrifice. You're bringing sure. up such a big point here because I think what I've come to realize now is that without mistakes, you don't have the raw material for your own success. And what I mean by that is the mistakes help you make better decisions. Yep. So if you make no mistakes in life in any endeavor, you don't have the context in which to make a better decision from. Yep. So you need to make a whole pile of mistakes because the actually, I know this sounds a bit ridiculous, but the more mistakes that you make, no, no, you have sure. more context. So if you do get screwed by a contractor or you give money up front when you shouldn't have given money up front, like we've all done with different things. I we did a lot of foolish we've things. All done, we've all done this, the foolish things. I've given people keys to a house without getting first and last month's rent and to have the first check bounce. Like, but you make all these mistakes and these mistakes actually guide you going forward. So I tell everybody totally. on our team right now, it's like, don't be scared of mistakes. When you come working with us here at Rockstar, go make all the mistakes in the world. If we happen to make a mistake with an investor we're working with, we will fix the mistake and protect them. Absolutely. But if you're making mistakes yourself, this is part of the process. Go make all yeah. kinds of mistakes. And actually, the faster you can make them, the better because you're going to get better at what you're doing faster totally i think you know the the issue is that people you know may not understand that or if they understand it they understand they understand that intellectually yeah it, but it, and it is subconsciously tough. they tough. still want to find a way where to not that's, make any mistakes that's, that's not gonna be the case the, the, and i can tell you when you know when when we started with this it was really I mean, because so many years of saving money and hard and earned dollars, right? And you start to get into this venture, and you can it's you know seventy thousand here on you know the down payment plus another seventy on the renovation. It's tough. I mean, I was scared to death. I really had to start working on my mindset and start thinking about okay, or, or learning how others are doing it because I said, yeah, people are doing it. It's doable. I just what's holding me back and it, it always goes that goes down and i guess for everyone to fear right fear is what holds us back totally to, for you, success you, you but if you are able to you know truly face that fear and say i i don't give a damn i'm gonna do it anyway i'm gonna learn i'm gonna keep going that's that's the trick right there's a whole funny flip side to all of what we're talking about is that when i hear someone like yourself share the story and the journey they're going through and sometimes will put stuff out on the internet about real estate investing and people will say you're part of the problem not you sergio like or like me or all of us investors in general because you're you're the reason property prices are going up and they're always looking to blame you know no one knows the hard work you've put in the savings yeah. that you've done the saturdays that you've spent and everyone's just looking to point fingers and blame and there become a day and this will be a sad day but i feel like in 10 or 20 years this might arrive where somebody who owns property in this country might be looked at as part of the problem oh, that's the rich guy who owns the investment properties. Yep. They're not going to know any, they're not even going to care about what you've been through to get there. That will be kind of dismissed from the narrative. And I'm a little scared. I hope that does not come to fruition, but I'm slightly kind of scared. Like we're on this weird path where, you know, no one's going to remember all the things everyone's done to get ahead. And, you know, um, but anyway, that's getting into a whole political, we'll just leave all that uh, for now. But it's, it is in the back of my mind sometimes, right? Yeah, so, I think the mindset may go something to what you see in Europe, right? For example, totally. and that's owning, where I, that, owning a property 
it's almost impossible. No, and, and, and people who own there, they always talk about people who own property. They're like, oh, that's so-and-so. He yeah. owns the property. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're looked like these are these are the quote-unquote rich people, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, geez, yeah. But that's I mean, how- you, you guys talk about this all the time, right? How property prices are going up so much faster than regular inflation rate or and, and, and incomes, right? So... People are going to struggle, you know, more and more to, to buy that, that first property. And even thinking about, you know, a, an, an investment property where you cannot get your own property, it's it's tough, right? So I think it, it's, I mean, it's it's a problem right now, but I think that's gonna only going to get worse, unfortunately, right? So. Um, Sergio, what do you work with him? Do you, do you have like, uh, should we share any of your contact information or we hold it? Do you have a website on what you're doing or you don't right, right I, now? No, no, I, 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 yeah, I can share my, my information. Can you? I can share remember my, people my listening email. to this. I don't know all the people listening to this, Sergio. So no, 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 <laughs> I don't know either, but <laughs> you want to share an email address? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, sure. All right. Sure. Okay. Yeah. We'll do it afterwards. Go, no, go just, ahead. What is it? Oh, what it's is it? S underscore Mansur. That's M A N. D as in zebra, U R, uh, at hotmail.com. So, so I don't have a I don't have a website. I don't. I'm not big in social media. In fact, in my life, what I found lately is that you know social media is a little bit of a distraction, same as you know TV, whatever. So I'm I, I'm not into that right now. Maybe in the future, who knows, right? But right now, no. <laughs> Very cool. I appreciate you uh, you sharing that. Uh, so anything else we wanted to discuss? That was the, that I, I feel like I could talk to you all day about all this kind of stuff. Um, anything else on your mind that you wanted to get out there today? We'll bring you back. And if you, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to chronologue your journey a little bit. We're going to be bringing you back over the years. Fine, and, yeah. 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 <laughs> anything else right now that on your mind that you wanted to get out there? Um, I think we covered it. No, no, no. Yeah. I think we, we Sergio, thank you for so. doing this, man. Really, like you're an inspiration. Hearing you talk, it's a really an inspiration for me to hear someone like yourself with your journey. It really helps myself and Nick when we hear stories like this. So no, thank thanks. You. And also, you know, thank you and, and Nick because, uh, you know, you guys open a lot of, uh, open my eyes quite a lot, right? Yeah. Cool. Thank and, you so and, and also because, you know, at some point in time, you gifted, you know, my wife and I some books to read. And then I read those books and I read other books that you guys recommended on, on YouTube. And I'm, I'm actually a big reader, especially the last few years. And I, I, I found that that's so helpful, right? Instead of, you know, spending time on social media or watching TV, just grab a book, read a book, read it again, highlight. And most importantly, you know, what, what I learned for, you know, for myself that I can tell others is, you know what? It's, it's great to read a book, but don't just read the book, just highlight and decide, okay, what are you going to start to apply and go and apply it? Because it's only when you start applying what you learn, sorry, what you, let's say what you understand intellectually, that you really learn it. If not, it's like something, oh, that, 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 that was great. That, that was really soothing to, to, to read this, but then I'm going to move to the next book, right? But to me, you know, realizing that I have to apply what other people are telling me or what other people are, are reading about, and apply it and when you apply it you realize that it's not easy and you make mistakes and you learn and that's that's really how you get ahead right so cool have you ever read the book the greatest salesman in the world i of haven't Mandina? read that's a little that funny one. it's a funny little book no. that book's always stuck with me is there a book that you like right now uh, anything come to mind on one of the books you've read over the last few years that you uh well, I read a lot, but one that you gifted us was a you know the the war of art Oh, Stephen Bransfield. Oh my gosh, I love. Isn't that book great? You could read that it's, book in an afternoon. It's it's amazing. the chapters are not even a full page. 
It's amazing. And it's a book that at any point in time, I need inspiration, whatever, you can grab it at any page. Me too. Yeah. So then I read, you know, the Rich God, Rich Dad, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Dad. as as, as many people, and all, you know, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. Uh, Yeah, I I read lots of books, right? But but again, what I found is that the key is apply what you learn. Sergio, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure, man. Appreciate it. Me too. It was really, really fun. So thanks a lot. Hey, everyone. It's Tom Kradza. So we are going to bring Sergio back because I just enjoy talking to him so much to keep track and tabs on his life's real estate journey. Um, So really want to thank him again for doing that. If you are listening to this and you want access to some real estate information yourself, you can go to rockstarinnercircle.com, get access to all our stuff, um, including books, articles, videos, the class that we host here, our free introductory 90-minute class. It's all accessible to you at rockstarinnercircle.com. That's it, everyone. Until next time, your life, your terms.